to our messed up society? <laughs> that you're the one that God wants to use to change our world? It could be. Here's Priscilla Sharp. There has been a book on the New York Times bestseller list for over 500 weeks now. Over 500 weeks, this one book has been somewhere on this list of incredible books that women across the world have been reading. Millions upon millions of women have been reading. I'm sure there have been some men sprinkled in there too. The name of the book, you're going to know it as soon as I say the first part of the title. What to expect when you're expecting. <laughs> Every woman that has found herself in the position of giving birth to a baby and becoming a mother, they have at least gotten a copy on, uh, gotten their hands on a copy of their friend's book if they don't have a copy of their own. I will tell you that there were too many details in that book for me. I could not handle it when I was pregnant because it is very specific about telling you every little teeny thing you are to expect when you are expecting. I think that that is a very appropriate title for our second session today in the Gideon Bible study. What to expect when you're expecting. Because the children of Israel have grown to expect the Midianites coming into their culture, pillaging their farmlands, devastating their countryside, stealing their crops. They have come to expect it now. We learned in Judges chapter 6 last week that the Midianites, they were released into the hands of the Midianites by God and they were allowed, the Midianites were allowed to come into their territory and to wreak havoc in their culture. And it didn't just happen once. It happened the second year and then the third year and then the fourth became the fifth and the fifth became the sixth, the sixth, the seventh. And in the time frame that we're going to study in Gideon's experience, they're going to have the eighth invasion of the Midianites into their territory. They began to expect this particular devastation and crisis. And I, I think that probably this Bible study might meet many of you at a time in your life where there is an expectation you've had in your life as well because there is some crisis, there is some difficulty, there is some issue, some drama that has not just unfolded in your life for one week, but that week has become two weeks. That second week has gone into a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, or a seventh, or maybe it's not weeks, it's months for you. That, one, that first week has become a second, then a third, and a fourth, or maybe even worse than that, it's not weeks, it's not months, it is years. And you could deal with it for the first year, but now it's become the second year. And you thought that after the second year it would be over, and at the, at the brand new year, January 1st, you prayed and said, Lord, I know I will have problems this next year, but can it at least be a different problem? <laughs> than the problem that it was last year. But, but maybe for many of you, this Bible study meets you at a time where what the children of Israel were going through, it registers with you because you've got your own Midianites. You've got financial difficulties or marital issues or that problem with your child or in your own emotional stability that you've dealt with again and again and again and again. You've seen the face of this enemy in your life over and over again. I want to give you a couple of the distinguishing characteristics about the Midianites that are going to help you to kind of pinpoint whether or not you've got some Midianites in your life. The first few verses of chapter 6, I won't go into detail in reading them because I want to hop on to some specific verses about Gideon during our time together today. But something that is very interesting that is indicated about Midian, when you do some research on them, you will find that the Midianites can, can directly um, tie their genealogy all the way back to Abraham. 
the children of Israel, obviously, the same. Through one son came the children of Israel, and through another son came the Midianites. So really, they are distant relatives. They are cousins. And from our perspective, the last place that we would consider that they would have this much difficulty, this much chaos, this much drama ensuing in their existence, the last place that we would expect that they would have this much trouble is from family members. The last place we would expect that they would have this many issues is from someone who is related to them in some sense. We just can't imagine that they would have this much trouble from a family member. I mean, that's the most unexpected place. You know you're dealing with the Midianites in your life when the problem that you were dealing with, the issue you were staring in the face, really when you think about it, it is coming from the most unexpected place. Never in a million years did you think when you walked down the aisle with that guy that you'd be dealing with this problem. Never in a million years did you think when you first held that precious baby in your arms that now, a decade or two later, that they would choose to break your heart like this. Never in a million years did you think that issue would be yours, that job, that trouble on that job or in that ministry would be something that you would have to contend with. It was just the least imagined thing on your mind. Something else that's interesting, I think, about the Midianites is that if you look closely into verse, the first couple of verses in chapter 6, you find out that it is very specific in detailing when the Midianites came into Israelite territory. It says that they came into the Israelite territory during the time of harvest. It was when Israel had sown and was reaping the harvest. So this was after Israel had already done all the hard work of planting the seed, of making sure the environment and the soil was perfect so that the crop could grow, and then gathering the crop and uh, yielding their harvest, and then beating out the wheat and the beating out the wheat and threshing the wheat. They have already gone through all of the hard work, and just when they're recovering from the previous year's devastation, just when they're getting their head above water, just when they're able to recover a little from the last year's devastation that they've had to deal with, here come those Midianites again. You know when you're dealing with the Midianites, not only when it's from the least expected place, but just when you're getting your head above water, that problem resurfaces in your life again. I mean, you've just gotten your checkbook balanced and your finances back in order. You've just gotten your heart uh, mended after that last trouble that you've had. You've just kind of caught your breath when once again that problem rises its head in your life. The children of Israel know what it's like to have a problem that resurfaces over and over and over again. A crisis that they're trying to figure out how to contend with. And in the midst of this crisis, there is a man, our hero in this epic tale that you and I are studying over the course of these weeks. There is a man whose story begins to unfold in the midst of this continuing crisis. And his experience is going to give us a brand new hope and a brand new set of expectations. What we should begin to expect when we're expecting when we're expecting that crisis in our life, you kind of, in the back of your mind, you're anticipating that there's still going to be an issue that you have to contend with. Gideon's going to show us that it is worth our time to have a brand new set of expectations when we're expecting. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joas the Abrazite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress. In order to save it from the Midianites, verse 12 says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why in the world has this happened to us? Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord, he's abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. But verse 14 says, 
that the Lord looked at him and said to him, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Gideon is his name and finally we get to meet him in the context of this epic story that is being told about a man who is being sent by God and commissioned by God to be a deliverer that is raised up for the people. Gideon is his name and he is marked by insecurity and timidity and lack of courage. The very reason that he is in the wine press is because he is hiding for his life. He wants to make sure to save not only himself, but the harvest that he is beating out there in the wine press. He's in that wine press because he wants to try to do everything that he can to stay undercover. Pure, timid, fearful man that is lacking in courage. In fact, he's a simple guy that would describe himself as being from the least tribe. And he'd say, I'm not only from the least tribe, but I'm from the least family within the least tribe. And not only am I within the least family within the least tribe, but I'm the least of the sons that is within that least family that is within the least tribe. (laughs) I am the bottom of the barrel. I am a simple guy. I can't believe that I would draw, ever draw any attention to myself. This guy was marked by insecurity, timidity, and fear. And in the midst of this national crisis, with everything that is ensuing, he grabs his harvest and he runs for cover in the deep depression in the side of a rock. A wine press was in a depression on the side of the rock so that there would be a solid surface for them to stamp on the grapes, to smash the grapes upon so that they could have the wine that they needed. He is running into this place that is marked by its shadows underneath this oak tree so that he can be undercover. His goal is to be unnoticed. His goal is to make sure that nobody can find him. His goal is to make sure that he is alone. And every time, just just catch the picture now. Remember, he is running in fear for his life. And he wants to make sure that even if they do find him, they don't take this this harvest that is going to be what sustains his family in in the weeks and the months and the years to come. So he's trying to keep it protected. Every time he hears a rustle in the brush, he cowers because he wonders if it's the enemy. Every time he hears a little whisper of a noise outside of the area where he's standing, he he heads for cover because he wonders if it's the enemy coming to take him out. This guy is afraid. He is doing everything that he can to remain unnoticed. And in the midst of a national crisis, in the midst of the Valley of Jezreel, which is where his town was located, the Valley of Jezreel, which would have been marked by many oak trees stationed within this valley, in the midst of this very fertile plain where a man is trying to be covered so that no one can find him, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, this is not just a random angel we're talking about. This is the very representation of God in the Old Testament. It was called a theophany. When God himself would show up so that mankind could see him with their physical eyes, could touch him with their hands, could experience him with their physical senses. The angel of the Lord found Gideon underneath this oak tree. He was trying not to be found, but God found him. What does this tell us? It tells us that this is what you should expect when you're expecting. You should expect that this crisis is not powerful enough to place you out of the reach of God. That no matter what this devastation has done to you, no matter where it has placed you geographically, physically, no matter what it's done to you emotionally or mentally, no matter what it's done to your finances, no matter how difficult the circumstances have been, no matter how hard you are trying to remain unnoticed, no matter how clear you're trying to steer up any type of attention, you need to know that you cannot outrun the hound of heaven. 
that Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1 says, his arm is not so short that he cannot save. And his ear is not so dull that he cannot hear. Wherever you are, whatever shadows of whatever oak tree you find yourself underneath, you need to know that it is not so dark under there that your God cannot come and find you. There is no valley too deep that he cannot discover you there. There is no mountain that is too high that even if you're at the pinnacle of it, he cannot discover you there, my friend. He can find you wherever you are. He found Gideon. And you and I need to expect that wherever we are, no matter the difficulties in our life, under whatever oak tree circumstances we may be under, underneath those shadows of the Almighty, my friend, he will come and find you. I met a lady named Dory. Um, This was several years ago now, but I will never forget it because this instance made an imprint on my heart and mind that I will never forget. I was speaking at a conference with many other um, highly respected Bible teachers that I know if I mentioned their names, you would, you would love them and admire them as well, just like I do. But this one woman made an imprint on me. I, I had never met her before. I'd never heard of her before, but she was sharing her testimony. She must have been at the time, at least in her seventies, if not her eighties. She was a slight woman. Um, she walked with a cane. She had those precious wrinkles on her face that told of the many seasons and stages of life that she had been through. And I really got an opportunity to get to know her when I was sitting between sessions at lunch and here we were at a round table and there were probably 10 or 12 of us around this huge round table and she was directly across from me on the far side so I was not able to have an intimate conversation with her but while everybody else was kind of having their conversations two and three in groups I kind of was stuck out alone by myself for a second which was okay because somebody had handed me a copy of Dory and it was a, it's her life story it's a testimony about her and I just started thrumming, thrumming through it while everybody was having their conversations And I was immediately taken back by what I was reading because this story was about a childhood in which she suffered unbelievable neglect that you cannot imagine, not only just at the hands of her mother and her uh, father, but also her parents allowed her sisters to also be involved in the abuse. So she was the outcast. She was neglected. Um, It went into a lot of detail about her life, and I just kind of sat there Uh, with my heart beating loudly inside of my chest as I read some of the details there, and my heart was broken. And I happened to glance up from the page, and when I glanced up from the page and looked across the table at her, she was just turning from a conversation, and her eyes met mine. And our eyes locked for just a moment across that table, and I whispered and mouthed to her, "Did, did anybody in your family ever apologize to you? Was there any ever... Um, sort of resolution for what had happened. I I knew her mother had already long uh, passed away, but her sister, I I wondered, did your mother, did your sister, anybody ever come to you and apologize for what had happened? And she just looked back at me and shook her head no. And when I dropped my head again, I could feel the tears now welling up in my eyes. Just the thought of what she had been through and that nobody had ever said they were sorry for what she had suffered. She She said that to me and I dropped my head. I could feel the tears welling up and then kind of spilling down my cheeks as I kind of tried to wipe them away. And because my eyes were blurred by the tears and my head was hung down, I didn't notice that that sweet woman with that cane um, had gotten up from her chair and she had made her way all the way around the side of the table. I didn't realize she had done that until she was standing right beside me. And because I was seated, I was looking up at her and she took her sweet... um, soft, wrinkled hand, and she cupped it underneath my face and just kind of rubbed my cheek a little bit. And she said, sweet girl, don't cry for me because God met me there. 
And I will never forget of all of the incredible teaching I heard that weekend, all of the incredible testimonies I heard that weekend. What marked me was a woman who had lived a life that, that many would, would never like to, to live, one that she herself wouldn't want to repeat. And yet in the midst of all of that chaos, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of that devastation, what she did know for sure was that God had met her in that place. And she recounted as she stood on the platform to give her testimony specific times where she could remember being alone, feeling isolated, feeling completely overwhelmed by her circumstances, but sensing the very real presence and comfort and care of her God with her in those situations. And it reminds me that wherever you are, wherever I am, no matter how difficult the situation is that you might be dealing with, you need to know that your crisis has the power to do a lot of things, to cause the tears to well up in your eyes, to change your living situation, to change your family dynamic, to have to cause you to change your job or where you live. It might change a lot of things, but this one thing it does not have the power to do, and that is to place you outside of the reach of your God. Gideon, he is underneath an oak tree, underneath a shadow where he is trying to hide, but he cannot hide from his God. Not only that, but what's so interesting is that Gideon is underneath this oak tree in a wine press, beating out wheat. And the wine press was not the normal place where you would beat out wheat. You would normally go to a threshing floor. And the threshing floor was in an exposed area on the top of a hillside normally. It was in an open-aired area. And the reason why it was specifically in a place like that is because that blowing air was a very necessary thing for the threshing process. The stalk of wheat needed to be dry to make sure that when the flail, a flail was a wooden board that had stones strategically placed on the side of it. So when someone took it and would bang over and over and over again this dried stalk of wheat, Because the grains were dry, the chaff, which was the light, airy, useless, nutrition-less portion of the stalk of grain, the chaff could be driven away by the wind. You know in the scriptures where you see um, the, the wicked likened to the chaff that is driven away, the ungodly driven away by the wind. That's where this phrase comes from. Because in the open air setting, the stalk of wheat would be dry, which was necessary for the process. But also so that when the beating ensued, the chaff would be lifted up into the air and then driven away by the wind. The grain then, the nutrient-rich, weighty grain substance would drop down to the ground. And that was the part that they would gather, that the harvester would gather and take home for their families, out of which they would make bread and the other things to sustain them in their lives. But when we meet Gideon in this passage, he's not on the threshing floor. He's in the wine press. The wine press was the exact opposite of a threshing floor. As I mentioned before, it was not only not in an open airy place, it wasn't the exact opposite. It was in a damp place, a place that had no sunlight, no air blowing through. It was a place where he was undercover and it would have been the exact opposite environment that he would need and that would be optimum to make his job easier. So now, because of the the Midianites, because of the crisis that he is facing, he is having to do his job in a way that is far less convenient. He is having to do his job in a way that is more difficult. He is having to do his job in a way that makes his life harder. And yet in this place where this crisis has relegated him to, the crisis has made his situation and his circumstance uh, more difficult and more hard to deal with. And he is now isolated and lonely doing this job. But it is in this place. 
that we find not only that the angel of the Lord comes to meet him, but it is also in this place that he happens to be strategically positioned by God so that he is in the exact place at the exact right time when God is going to come to commission him for the calling that he has on his life. So this crisis, my friend, let me tell you something. It does not have the power to put you out of the reach of God, but somehow in the sovereignty and the majesty of God, it does have the power and the potential to position you exactly where you're supposed to be for the calling that God has on your life. This is something we cannot wrap our mind around. It's one of the mysteries of God. When we get to heaven, we're going to try to figure out how he somehow can orchestrate the bad stuff, the difficult stuff, the crisis, the devastating stuff. And it positions us in the very place we don't prefer that job. We don't like in this family dynamic. We don't like in this neighborhood. We don't like in this apartment instead of the house that we wish that we could own in this church instead of that church doing this ministry instead of that ministry. This is threshing wheat underneath the wine press. We prefer to be in the more convenient place, the easier place, the place where it's easier to do our job. Life is more difficult over here and we prefer not to be here. But our crisis has positioned us here and somehow, in some way, God uses all things together for your good and for his glory. Somehow he is able to orchestrate circumstances. So even the details that you don't like, the position you don't desire, even though everything around you is not what you expected, he uses it in a way that it puts you in the exact place so that when the angel of the Lord shows up with the call of God for your life, you are exactly where you need to be. Knowing people the way I do, I have a feeling. That some of you are saying, well, if God showed up and the angel of the Lord was right here and said he had a big job for me to do, he was going to use me to change the world, well, then I'd go. (laughs) But he's not here and he's not calling and he's not sending. I want you to know he is here, (laughs) and he is calling, and as sacred as this moment of worship has been, he has a plan for your life when you walk out that door.